You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. We would like to welcome everyone to this very special conversation on pursuing justice for the atrocities being committed in Ukraine with the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, Mr. Kareem Khan, who is on his first official visit to Washington in this role, and with ambassador and distinguished legal scholar, David Sheffer. My name is Lise Grande, and I am the president of the United States Institute of Peace, which was established by Congress in 1984 as a public institution dedicated to preventing, mitigating, and resolving violent conflict abroad. Our conversation this evening focuses on the central issue of international accountability for atrocities. For those acts which represent the most extreme, brutal, and cruel forms of criminality. These include crimes against humanity, war crimes, and genocide. This is an urgent and pressing international priority because of the atrocities being committed during Russia's unprovoked and unjustified war of aggression against Ukraine. Our discussants this afternoon are giants in international law and accountability. Kareem Khan has served as the ICC prosecutor since June 2021. Mr. Khan has served as the Assistant Secretary General of the United Nations and as the first Special Advisor and Head of the United Nations Investigative Team to promote accountability for crimes committed by ISIL in Iraq. Mr. Khan is a barrister and Queen's Counsel with more than 25 years of professional experience as an international criminal law and human rights lawyer. He has worked as a counsel and defense lawyer in domestic and international criminal tribunals, including the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda, International Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia, the Extraordinary Chambers in the Courts of Cambodia, the Special Tribunal for Lebanon, and the Special Court for Sierra Leone. He has also represented the victims of human rights violations in Africa and Asia. Ambassador David Sheffer is a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations with a focus on international law and international criminal justice. He is clinical professor emeritus and director emeritus of the Center for International Human Rights at Northwestern Pritzker School of Law in Chicago. He serves as the international Fanke professor at Leuven Catholic University in Belgium he serves as the professor of practice at Arizona State University, and he is the vice president of the American Society of International Law. Ambassador Sheffer is the UN Secretary General Special Expert on UN Assistance to the Khmer Rouge Trials and helped to negotiate and establish five war crime tribunals, including for the former Yugoslavia, Rwanda, Sierra Leone, and Cambodia. Ambassador Sheffer was the first ever U.S. ambassador at large for war crime issues 
and he led the U.S. delegation to the U.N. talks establishing the International Criminal Court. He signed the Rome Statute of the ICC on behalf of the United States on December 31st, 2000. Gentlemen, it is an enormous privilege to have you here with us today. For colleagues who are joining us online, we encourage you to join the conversation by using the hashtag ICCUSP, USIP. Mr. Crossbehuter, Mr. Ambassador, with your permission, we have several questions of a general nature we would like to start by asking. We then would hope to turn the conversation specifically to Ukraine, and we have a long list of questions that have already been generated by colleagues online and by members of our audience. If we could start first, Prosecutor Khan, with a question about your role as the prosecutor for the ICC. Specifically, we're hoping that you can share with us your priorities as the prosecutor, what you hope to accomplish during your tenure, and if you can share with us, frankly, some of your concerns about the obstacles you may be facing in achieving the goals you have set. Well, thanks enormously, and it's a great pleasure to be here sitting with you and uh, also in this absolutely uh, wonderful uh, building. It's uh, seldom that a building uh, architecture and its lofty aims coincides with such uh, felicity as the present uh, Institute of Peace. Um, the priorities are really to get the office of the prosecutor working as effectively as possible in a way that is in full conformity with the obligations I have uh, under the Rome Statute. It requires um, some reorganization in the office. It's an office uh, needs to work with some greater dispatch uh, and to fulfill the hopes and aspirations of those that were in Rome um, when the Rome Statute was signed. This is the 20th uh, anniversary of the Rome Statute coming into force and yet we see uh, terrible crimes across the world, uh, whether it's uh, in, uh, against the Rohingya or uh, in, in many other situations. So we need to do better collectively. The office has a role to play, but it's about building partnerships. Um, and it's going back to some of the, the basics in terms of complementarity. Uh, this ICC is a court of last resort. Um, we need to work with national authorities where possible with uh, uh, you know, uh, good cooperation, but also to make sure that the hope of international justice is rendered effective. We keep uh, acting as if we don't have shame. We hear the mantra of never again uh, after the Second World War and never again after Yugoslavia and never again after Rwanda. Uh, Nadia Murad uh, wrote a book, The Last Girl, and unfortunately she's tragically not. Uh, so these kind of sexual and gender-based crimes, uh, war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide, steep being committed. So we need to show that international justice isn't about uh, simple normative values. It's an essential part for stability and security. And then in terms of the priorities, um, we have to you know, investigate the most egregious crimes within our jurisdiction. And we also need to prioritize. And as I said publicly, we have um, you know, Security Council referrals. They should be prioritized. We have state referrals. We have Article 15 proprio moto. And then use, uh, with as much intelligence and wisdom as we can muster, the resources that we have and the limited resources we have as effectively to bring meaningful justice and many other things, but I think that's enough for a starter. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to comment on some of the obstacles you think you will be facing? Well, linked to that are, you know, expectations. 
the, the world is full of contradictions, it always has been. Uh, the world is full of contradictions, it always will be. But, uh, you know, that's not a license to do nothing, it's not a license or a justification to be paralysed by inaction or by wringing our hands to say, well, because of all these myriad reasons, let's not even try uh, to go forward. Uh, this, the history of civilization is built upon the imperfections of humanity. But with all those imperfections, we've seen from you know, Cyrus the Great and the Cylinder of Cyrus all the way uh, through the, the Renaissance and uh, um, you know, the, the Second World War and recent events, that uh, with all its limitations, with incremental steps, sometimes going backwards, the march of humanity from barbarism to civilization is um, moving forward in a certain direction. But we're not perfect and we need to also be self-critical moving forward. So if we also pretend that the systemic inequalities in the world, whether it's 99% you know, of the um, world's wealth being held by 1% of the population, or whether it's contradictions in the application of international law, if all of these issues are put at the feet of any court of law, we're going to fail. If we realize everybody has a part to pay, politicians, um, civil society, institutions, and the judiciary, and prosecutors, I think we can make a, make a difference together. But it's not easy, but it's, a, a, it's worth a, every effort and straining every sinew. Ambassador Sheffer, you were there at the creation of the ICC. Over the 20 years, how have you seen it evolved? And what would be your hope where the ICC will end up in the next 20 years? Well, thank you so much. And it's a great pleasure to be here again. Um, I had a stint with the Institute back in 2001-2002, which was extraordinary. And I'm always so pleased to come back, certainly in this huge new building that uh, is a wonder. Um, and it's so, so nice to be with Kareem Khan again. You know, I first met uh, the prosecutor when he was uh, representing victims uh, before the extraordinary chambers in the courts of Cambodia, and I was the UN special expert on assistance to that court. And I watched him in the courtroom represent victims. So for me, he will forever be the victim's counsel, um, uh, the, although I know he's covered all the bases as a barrister. Um, <clears throat> and he's, he's extraordinary. Um, you know, the court, uh, international criminal justice is the long game. It has a very long arc. Um, it's not intended to, to literally prevent conflicts. That's the work of diplomacy and of military institutions, of governments. It is there to provide accountability for what has happened. And our hope is always that it will provide some deterrence in the future because of the quality of its work, the precedence it establishes, and basically the signals that it sends out that if you seek to uh, commit atrocity crimes, there is a court there ready to deal with you, and you will not escape the arm of justice. It may take 20 years to get you, but you will not escape the arm of justice. So that's what we try to establish with the International Criminal Court. Um, I think uh, over a 20-year period, it actually has demonstrated a rather impressive record. We can always punch holes in it. The skeptics always are there, and I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic half of the day. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it has established a, a fairly significant record of investigative work, um, of prosecutions, 
of uh, jurisprudence that uh, uh, demonstrates due process of rights for defendants, that demonstrates the, the reality of acquittals occasionally uh, after serious scrutiny. Um, and so it's established quite, quite a record that we need to continue to learn from and that also I think is an excellent foundation for the future work of the court. I would say that um, what's so astonishing with Ukraine, and this is the man who triggered it, when you called um, out for uh, states to refer Ukraine to the ICC, states parties, this was the phenomenal moment, frankly, for the court, because as a, as a negotiator, as, the, as, the, as a drafter of the Rome Statute, the presumption was that most of this would be triggered by states' parties referring it. And yet in the first 20 years, almost no states' parties referred anything to the court. It was either proprio motu or security council referrals. This individual got 41 governments simultaneously to refer Ukraine to the court, which as far as I, I concluded, well, that trumps it then. I mean. Uh, you've done it, 41 states. I, I would have wished we'd had 41 separate referrals of separate situations over the world uh, in the last 20 years, but now we have 41 on one, that's fine. And, oh, is it now 43? I'm sorry, okay, I'm a little dated now. 43. And, um, and I think that's a, an incredibly important precedent for the future. It sort of, it, it broke the mold um, of state party hesitancy to actually use the ICC with their own initiative, as opposed to waiting for something to emerge from proprio motu or from Security Council referrals, with a Security Council that is now essentially dysfunctional when it comes to ICC referrals. Um, Prosecutor Khan, if you could talk more to all of us about the steps that you are taking in the ICC to investigate the atrocities that are being committed in Ukraine, if you could describe that process. And if you could talk about the resources that you're using now to do that and the additional resources that you may need in the future as your work continues. Um, we've uh, mobilized a, a, a team, but we start off by a fundamental principle. We have jurisdiction in the Ukraine situation by virtue of decisions by Ukraine in 2014 and 2015 to um, make a declaration accepting the court's jurisdiction. They're not state parties. And it's very important to emphasize, I mean, I have no agenda as a prosecutor. Uh, I'm an officer of the court. Uh, it's clear every party to a conflict has responsibilities. Uh, no commander, no civilian superior, uh, no person in the battlefield uh, can pray in aid that they're on this side or that side as a justification for engaging in conduct that may come within the court's jurisdiction. So uh, this is something I've repeatedly emphasized uh, in Ukraine and outside that uh, we have jurisdiction in relation to all sides. But of course, uh, the events of the 24th of February, uh, as Ambassador Sheffer mentioned, uh, compel certain action. Um, the, what we are seeing uh, was uh, extremely grave and uh, terrible though the information is, we shouldn't think this is as bad as it gets. And so I think we have to try to um, create what I describe as this new common front uh, of legality, in addition to many other measures, 
to make um, everybody aware that nobody can act with impunity. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the phraseology of uh, the Magna Carta, um, you know, it was emphasized in terms of King John that the king is under no man but God and the law. And I think we need to re-emphasize these basic principles that probably have not been applied with as much vigor as they could to, you know, to, to stop things escalating further. So the whole paradigm, I think, of, of the office, and I've said it before um, I was elected during the election campaign, we need to redefine success. Uh, I think the idea that the ICC is an apex court and um, can do all of it alone is uh, not accurate. The types of crimes by way of scale and gravity that constitute or may constitute offences of genocide and crimes against humanity or war crimes require partnerships. Uh, and we see in so many ways uh, in Germany, in France, uh, in relation to uh, ISIS or in relation to other allegations, um, this movement where there should be no safe haven for this type of, of criminality. So our, yesterday I signed an agreement for the first time in the history of the, uh, the Office of the Prosecutor to join a JIT, a joint investigative team, with Ukraine and Lithuania and Poland. We will uh, be part of that, we'll be a participant in that, at the same time we conduct our own independent investigations. But the other aspect uh, of, of moving forward is what are we trying to do? It really doesn't matter a jot uh, which flag is behind a prosecutor or which flag is behind a court. The principle and the foundation upon which the Roman statute was built was there should be no impunity. And so we need to work in partnerships. If it's done in a national court, that's excellent. If it can be done in the region, that's excellent. And the ICC is a court of last resort and The Hague should be a city of last resort. So we're working both with the Prosecution General's Office, we're working with uh, the JIT, we're working with international organizations like Eurojust, and we're trying to also reach out with state parties and non-state parties. Uh, and here, you know, in the United States, I'm, I'm briefing the Security Council in a couple of days on Libya. But I think it's worth emphasizing that the Rome Statute principles are quintessential American values. You know, who, who, which country, which democracy, which uh, people versed in the law or believe in the better angels of themselves would wish to condone a genocide or, uh, or crimes against humanity or war crime. And uh, I think very often we get lost in the theory, in the architecture of accountability. When we bring it down to people, you know, children becoming orphans or uh, women being raped or the types of destruction we see and the trauma, the massive trauma that is caused to hundreds of thousands or millions of people, um, do we stand by passive or, or do we speak up and do we try to uh, subject these uh, circumstances to independent investigations and forensic scrutiny and as I said, this requires these multiple-tiered tiered partnerships. I've reached out, and I will continue to do so, to the Russian Federation. Uh, I've sent them now three communications, and they've, as a matter of sovereign choice, they have every right. They have not responded. Uh, I've, I'm in regular communication with the Ukrainians, and they have. And so it's not that we have a particular agenda. It's about we have a job to do. And I do think in this moment when many uh, viewers, many watching may think, well, what is the point of international law? all these Geneva Conventions and Hague Regulations and Rome Statute and you know, all this talk has not stopped um, suffering in so many theatres of the world. I think we do see this coming together, uh, as Ambassador Sheffer mentioned, of, of 43 countries. And it can be the start 
of this uh, new realization that we can't view international law as an a la carte menu. We must stick with the law and these fundamental principles that bind not only states, but humanity itself together to prevent, you know, um, may seem alarmist, but to pre prevent our destruction. Uh, this is ultimately what the law is about. It's about to protect, it's to preserve, it's to try to create, hew out a road that we can all walk on together, but also it is a realization that unless we um, continue, whatever the difficulties and whatever the hurdles upon the path of legality, in the end we should not be complacent about where all of this could lead. Ambassador, the atrocities in Ukraine have shocked the collective conscience of the U.S. of the international community. And here in the U.S. what we're seeing is that the administration, many members of Congress, are insisting, calling for justice, including through the ICC. And yet we know that there are legislative limitations on the kind of support that the U.S. is able to offer the court. What is your view on this and what kind of support might be possible or how could some of these limitations possibly be overcome? Actually, uh, Madam President, the, uh, the opportunities for the United States to support the prosecutor's office and the work of the court are fairly significant. Um, it should be you know, remembered that uh, uh, when we were negotiating this back in the 1990s, of course, President Clinton's aim at that time, and I worked under his instruction, was to literally build this court and be part of it. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to the final ratification step after we left office. But, and despite some legislative impediments, one called the American Service Members Protection Act, another one an Appropriations Act that uh, uh, sought to curtail the ability of the United States to work with the ICC I think we've been able to demonstrate in the past under certain administrations um, and certainly uh, in a technical legal uh, manner now that there are many ways the United States can support the court. There, you might have seen a New York Times article a few weeks ago that revealed a Department of Justice legal memo that actually parsed out what the United States could do for the ICC legally despite those constraints, and they are significant areas of cooperation, particularly on specific cases under the so-called Dodd Amendment, which is the final provision, thanks to, to former Senator Christopher Dodd of Connecticut, that was tagged onto the law and sort of opened the gates again. Um, and that's particularly important for Ukraine, because Ukraine, uh, despite you know, the prosecutor general there has alerted us that there are at least 8,000 cases she is examining of actual war crimes and crimes against humanity on the ground in Ukraine. There's a lot of leadership uh, culpability that needs to be examined with respect to Ukraine. And I think in that capacity, when we're talking about an investigation of the leadership of Russia, of its military, in waging this war of aggression with all of the supplemental atrocity crimes that come under that umbrella of the crime of aggression, um, those individual cases can actually receive an, a significant amount of U.S. support. Not financially, but 
in many other important ways. Intelligence information, seconding Americans to help with those specific cases, in other words, American investigators um, and counsel. Um, those, those are opportunities that, uh, or uh, tracking, tracking uh, indicted fugitives, providing rewards for their capture. Um, and we've done this in the past. Uh, and so uh, those opportunities are on the horizon for the United States with respect to uh, what we can uh, you know, provide with respect to the, to the uh, Ukraine situation. I would hope, too, that Ukraine will have sent a very strong signal through the halls of Congress that it's time now to uh, ratchet back some of the American Service Members Protection Act. We've done this before. By the end of the George W. Bush administration, it was certainly revealed that the economic sanctions and military sanctions of that act were counterproductive against our interests. Congress repealed them. They don't exist anymore. There are other provisions of that act that can now be repealed. Um, and I think there are, the time has arrived to consider that. Um, uh, you know, the final point I would make is simply that um, there's actually legislation that Senator Durbin, who's chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, alerted the world to a few weeks ago, just before Easter break, and that is a War Crimes Accountability Act, which is fixing our law on war crimes, fixing our law on crimes against humanity, uh, and some other provisions as well, namely so that the United States will no longer be a sanctuary for alien war criminals, uh, and for anyone who commits crimes against humanity. We are currently a sanctuary. You know, come on over, visit Disneyland, get some property in New Mexico, live happily ever after. We cannot prosecute you. That is absurd. And Senator Durbin has, since 2009, sought to change that so that the United States is no longer a sanctuary. If you land in the United States, we take you down and we prosecute you if you've committed war crimes or crimes against humanity overseas, if you're an alien, and obviously if you're a US national. So um, that legislation is about on deck. Uh, Senator Durbin alerted us to it on the floor of the Senate uh, just before Easter, and I look forward to that becoming law. If that becomes law in the United States, we will have gone a very far distance in supporting the important work of the ICC, which encourages nations to have these types of laws so that they don't have to carry the burden of all investigations and prosecutions, which they cannot, but rather national courts can do so because they're capable within their criminal codes of doing so. Um, Ambassador, we have two more questions on Ukraine that in a sense are directed to your expertise. One of them is that we'd all be very interested in your reflections on how the investigation ongoing into Russian accountability for crimes being committed in Ukraine might change the U.S. approach to and attitude toward the ICC. Well, first of all, it already has. Um, Senate Resolution 546, which was the unanimously adopted sense of Senate resolution of I don't know, five weeks ago or six weeks ago or so, um, was specific to Ukraine. And within that language of that resolution, supported by a wide bipartisan range of senators and senators from the Republican Party and the Democratic Party all coming together uh, rather 
rarely do they do so in this context. Um, and the provisions of that sense of Senate resolution were very respectful and supportive of the role of the ICC in investigating atrocity crimes in Ukraine. So that has never happened before. That was a first. And I think that sort of opens the door to a, a, a better sense of collaboration on Capitol Hill with respect to the ICC. I think the worth of the ICC is being demonstrated. Um, and that finally we get past what I've always described, I'm afraid ever since the, the beginning, <laughs> which is um, the United States need not be intimidated by the International Criminal Court. It simply doesn't have to be intimidated anymore by this court. Rather, the court is our ally. It stands for the values that we stand for. We should have the self-confidence to be part of it. Um, and so uh, I, I would hope that it, it, it points towards that ultimate uh, 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 you know, development. By the way, I should add that um, nonetheless, the United States, uh, by working, I know that there are US elements working with the prosecutor general in Ukraine to help with the investigations there um, on a national basis. And um, all of that is very, very supportive, ultimately, of the ICC's mandate, because they have to look at a fairly narrow range of cases for a small group of people. That's all that they can handle. Whereas Ukraine is going to be looking at probably hundreds, if not thousands, of ultimate defendants. Um, and it's like we experienced with Bosnia-Herzegovina, where even today there's a special war crimes chamber that continues its work on a very national level regarding the Yugoslav war of the early 1990s, long after the Yugoslav tribunal has completed its work. Prosecutor Khan, one of the, the issues that you've both reflected on is the relationship between the ICC and national courts. It would be very interesting, I think, for all of us to understand better what kind of support the ICC can provide to the national courts that are prosecuting war crimes, crimes against humanity, and vice versa, what kind of support the national actors and civil society can provide to the ICC? I think that's a, a pivotal question. Before, if, if I may, Madam President, before I, I uh, deal with it, I, I think it's important to um, you know, re-applaud re and um, recognize the outstanding leadership of um, Ambassador David Sheffer uh, as the first uh, ambassador at large for war crimes. And uh, also, uh, she's not in the room, but um, in a way now we have uh, an absolutely outstanding and uh, exceptionally able individual that the United States has appointed as uh, Ambassador Beth Van Schaak as the ambassador for uh, global uh, criminal justice. So I think, you know, in terms of um, the emphasis on uh, legality and the rules of law, we're in a good place. And this is, in, even in these desperate times, it is an opportunity to show uh, the, the relevance of uh, what we're doing. I think the model of the ICC has always been complementarity. What we can provide is, uh, and we have to also um, change some of our art architecture, which we're doing, uh, is to, instead of being this uh, top of the you know, pyramid, this apex court, we are a hub in which we're doing our own job. We're a court of last resort, but we're also feeding into the spokes that are you know, essential to keep the wheel of justice moving, and they are national authorities. And uh, this is something that's not just talk. It's exactly what we try to do in my last mandate as the special advisor and head of UNITAD. Um, 
there's massive data sets for these types of crimes. Some may be generated from the country, some may be from NGOs, some may be way of our independent investigations, some by state parties, some by non-state parties. And uh, in any criminal investigation, one gets uh, what I always describe as orphan pieces of evidence. You, you may get a, um, um, a, uh, a rental car uh, a agreement, uh, which uh, a national uh, prosecutor or somebody in the military going through boxes seized on the battlefield will f see as of very marginal significance. But if you mate that piece of evidence with other evidence seized, either by our own investigations or by, from other sources, a, a completely different image may um, reveal itself that may be of great evidential significance. So, you know, national authorities in, in the Ukraine situation, we have nine national authorities investigating. We have then a JIT of three states, uh, and we have uh, other action taken by other groups, NGOs, and uh, uh, commissions of inquiry and all the rest of it. Every actor will have a snapshot, but if we put that together, you get a kaleidoscope of information that uh, we, you know, harnessing technology uh, with the experience we have can feed into national uh, jurisdictions. Um, of course, we are, there's a court of last resort. For some cases, it may be useful because of the international platform uh, to uh, expose certain ideologies or to bring things to the court in accordance with the statute. But very often, justice is best done at home and we can provide it to national authorities in a way that is impactful. Uh, and in that regard, I'm really delighted and I think it's uh, wonderful to say so here in the United States. Um, one of your great companies, Microsoft, uh, are doing absolutely outstanding work. They were extremely uh, pivotal in my last mandate in terms of uh, helping us, uh, together with members of my team, uh, designing uh, some archite architecture in a way that was integrated in the, in the cloud using artificial intelligence, machine learning, uh, facial recognition and all the rest of it in a way that would help deal with the massive data sets that are a signature of these types of cases. And uh, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, also uh, has pledged to assist us now in the office of the prosecutor. Uh, and hopefully we can then receive information and, and give it back. And that really answers the other part of the question. Uh, what do we need from states? We need support. Of course, we, the resources are always a, an issue, but I'm pleased that since the 7th of March, when I sent a note for ballot to all state parties, we have about 20 countries that have pledged financial support and or secondments of uh, personnel uh, that we will not earmark for Ukraine. I can't accept that, but we'll use across the situations to help international justice be more meaningful. And at the same time, we need to you know, um, try to receive information from others, whether it's state parties uh, or non-state parties, whether it's intelligence, satellite, uh, information, radar, interception of communications, or information from neighboring states, or access uh, to neighbor, you know, in, in neighboring states. All of this is necessary. So suddenly we're working in partnership. And I think ultimately that's important. The ICC, to my mind, was never conceived of uh, and it's clear in black and white, it's not my impressionistic view, uh, it's, it's not in competition with national authorities. Yeah. It, it is based upon complementarity. So it's this realization that our shared humanity should trump these petty fiefdoms and territorial considerations, uh, and we work together uh, in relation to crimes that are much bigger than us, and actually um, you know, do a better job. President Grant, can I just jump in with a memory of Microsoft? When uh, then Ambassador Albright and I visited the Yugoslav Tribunal just after it had secured property in The Hague, 
This was in uh, November or December of 1993. And it was just President Cassese there. I think uh, Judge McDonald was there. And Graham Blewett was there as deputy prosecutor. That was it. That was the staff. And that got us going on seconding a lot of Americans. But one of the questions we asked when we walked in was, um, so has anyone really tried to help you? And I think it was President Cassese who said, yeah, uh, Microsoft sent us some computer terminals. <laughs> so they were there in the very beginning, you know. Um, Ambassador Shefford, there's within the jurisdiction for the ICC the issue of wars of aggression and how they can best be prosecuted. And of course, I know that within this discussion, there is also a reflection on the possible complementarity of international tribunals and that you, in your role, have given thought to how this might work. If you could share your reflections with us. Well, yes, I can. You know, I consult with a lot of my international law colleagues in academia, of course, on matters of this character. And um, I also have my own experience, particularly with the Special Court for Sierra Leone and the extraordinary chambers in Cambodia, which really required a lot of innovative thinking about how do you create these types of tribunals under extraordinary circumstances and where the UN Security Council is not stepping forward to literally create a Chapter 7 tribunal as they had with Yugoslavia and Rwanda. And um, one formula which really did work was the one that was applied for Sierra Leone and in a somewhat different context for Cambodia, namely that there would be a treaty established between the United Nations and the government of Ukraine to deal with that narrow band of the crime of aggression which Prosecutor Khan is very constrained at looking at um, uh, just because of many factors in the Rome Statute. Um, and that treaty could establish a tribunal on the crime of aggression that would certainly have, uh, and it could be designated specifically as an international court just as the Special Court for Sierra Leone was so determined to be and described as uh, and worked as and rendered judgments as an international court. Um, and in that way, then, you would have the UN General Assembly approving that treaty, negotiated by UN lawyers and the Ukrainian government, um, and uh, then provide a treaty-based court. Very, it could be done fairly rapidly in that way. And you do not have to involve the Security Council whatsoever in that exercise. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm very aware there are other models being discussed. Um, but I think at the end of the day, for the credibility of the exercise, and for its sort of synergy with what the ICC is doing on the other atrocity crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity, and war crimes, having the UN engaged this way um, with the financial support, obviously, of countries that would need to step up to the plate to fund such a court. But again, it would have a narrow mandate of the crime of aggression, um, I think would be a very worthwhile exercise. Gentlemen, with your permission, we would like to open the floor for questions. May we invite them from the floor? Sir. Uh, thank you so much. Will Malden with the Wall Street Journal. Um, I would like to, uh, that very interesting on the crime of aggression, uh, would like to uh, hear the prosecutor Khan's reaction to that or if there are other ways uh, to uh, approach the, the uh, crime of aggression. Uh, given, given uh, you know, from his point of view. And then also, if I could ask you, um, uh, Mr. Prosecutor, a little bit about um, 
your uh, size of your operation in Ukraine and whether you have the resources you need. And you talked about complementarity, but is there, is there danger of all the organizations involved, NGOs, different governments, governments that don't even have close relations with the court uh, like our own in the U.S.? Is there a danger of, of people tripping over each other or getting in each other's way uh, in terms of your operation there? Thank you. Um, that's a great question. If I may deal with the second one first. Um, yes, it's a danger. Um, when I made the announcement on the 25th of uh, February that um, you know, reminding all parties to the conflict of their obligations to comply with international humanitarian law, I was in Cox's Bazaar uh, further to our investigations regarding uh, the Rohingya. And it's been well documented there that uh, there's been over-documentation. Uh, different NGOs are funded by different states and then they report back to their funders and very often I've seen witnesses become, in effect, commodities. Um, rape victims are interviewed 10, 15 times in a way that is unacceptable and obscene. Uh, alas, Cox's Bazaar is not the first and is not the last. Uh, we have seen other initiatives in Iraq and in Syria, um, named after now uh, Nadia Murad, the Murad Code, that deals with the same phenomena of over-documentation. And what we need to really be careful of, and I think it behoves us, um, not to keep having lessons learned. It's about uh, learning the lessons and applying them effectively. If there is a stampede in an uncoordinated fashion for documentation, uh, the same thing will happen. And I think there needs to be a greater realization that documentation uh, is not the only game in town. Very often in these situations, to my mind, we need psychologists, we need psychosocial uh, help. People are traumatized. We need education, uh, you know, humanitarian assistance. So I think there needs to be um, greater you know, partnerships. I think the advantage is, uh, in, uh, for example, in this situation, we have organized police forces uh, in, in Europe. We have uh, international standards under the rubric or supervision of the European Court of Human Rights. We have many war crimes officers. We have very sophisticated entities like Europol and, and Eurojust. Uh, and I think uh, as long as we work as part of joint endeavors, we can work more effectively. And at the same time, we don't want bystanders. So I think it's about allocating what the priorities are in the same way we have uh, OCHA for humanitarian assistance because of this uh, phenomena of uh, stampeding and lack of coordination. Uh, I think there may be a role um, for others or for the Office of the Prosecutor when we have jurisdiction to try to play a part in uh, trying to coordinate these uh, efforts and we've got a wonderful relationship with the uh, prosecutor general of ukraine with the president of eurojust and i think we're working in that um, collegiate effective manner to try to make sure that uh, we work uh, if effectively i, I think uh, whether one is a state party or an unstate party the stakes for international justice should bind us together it goes back to my earlier point um, we all should be friends of those that seek to repress genocide or crimes against humanity and war crimes. And it really doesn't matter when we sleep in our respective beds at night whether or not one is a state party or not. It's an obligation to stand up, to do something, to make this world a better place or to make it less cruel and less painful for so many of our brothers and sisters and children around the world. And this requires engagement. And I think uh, this 
discussion here in, in the United States of America is essential because, as I said earlier, these are United States values. These are the values of all humanity. They're not of the global north. They're Christian values and Muslim values and values of Asia and Latin America. If we can actually focus on our basic, you know, essential, quintessential humanity in that way, uh, suddenly we're not in the export business. We're trying to um, be bound by what we collectively own. It's not owned in The Hague uh, and it didn't wasn't born in Rome, a legal instrument was born in Rome, but the values that underpin it go way back beyond, you know, Nuremberg uh, into antiquity. In, in terms to other structures, look, states are sovereign. States can make decisions about what structures they have. Um, you know, I could leave it there, but the crime of aggression, uh, you know, has, or, or aggression has happened in different periods of history. There was quite some discussion in terms of Kampala regarding uh, the, the definition of, uh, of aggression. And I think um, you know, there's a natural reaction sometimes to create institutions and uh, create mechanisms. I think states are in a good position to decide what's necessary. My job is to try to make the, the uh, office work better within our jurisdiction. We do have, I mean, the, the Rome Statute, uh, Article 8 BIS, the, the provision that deals with aggression has been activated. And uh, whilst at the moment it may not seem likely that uh, uh, it, is, uh, it will be a crime within the jurisdiction of the court, um, history shows things change. And if things change, it is also one of the offences within the court's jurisdiction. So I tend to uh, you know, focus on making what's in my jurisdiction, um, ensure it's investigated as effectively as possible, and states must make a decision. Um, but then when you create something, there's an obligation to fund it, and that's the history of the ICC. It was created with high hopes. Uh, others are assessing whether or not we are fulfilling those hopes. We need to improve, I need to improve, the office needs to improve, but also those that created the court and gave hope to so many have a responsibility to properly fund and support it. Otherwise, it becomes a mirage, it becomes a fig leaf of activity that is very cruelly exposed um, sooner rather than later, in my view. Um, ma'am. Thanks. Carrie Kennedy with Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights. Mr. Ambassador, you talked about uh, seconding um, prosecutors to the ICC. What, what would that look like? Um, how many would you want? What is the background you would need? How quickly do you need them to be there? Um, how long should they stay? How would you see that happening? And if you permit, we'll take two or three questions as we wrap okay. up. Um, Paul? I have a question from Lara Jakes from the New York Times uh, for Prosecutor Khan. What is the likelihood of swift or conclusive justice for Ukrainian victims of rape, sexual assault, trafficking, and other gender-based war crimes, given that the ICC is widely known as a court of last resort. Secondly, what are you doing to ensure that perpetrators are being held accountable, and do you envision that President Putin may be prosecuted for these gender-based crimes being used as a weapon for war? Thank you. And we'll take one final question, sir. 
thanks very much. Uh, Sean Tandon with AFP. Uh, to the prosecutor, could I ask the same question that was posed to Ambassador Sheffer? And that's the role of the United States, uh, the United States with its complicated relationship with the ICC in recent years. Uh, what could it, in what, in what ways could it assist uh, this investigation? Is there anything that you're looking for here in the United States? And to follow on my colleague Laura's question when she asked about President Putin, is there a risk of impunity purely by virtue of the power of Russia? And I do have one final question, ma'am. Thanks very much. I'm Liz Evenson with the Coalition for the International Criminal Court. I just want to say, Mr. Prosecutor, it's such a pleasure to see you here uh, in Washington, especially when we consider where the relationship between the U.S. and your office was not, not too much longer than a year ago. And I know um, it's thanks to individuals like Ambassador Sheffer, civil society, academic, um, other, um, other voices here in the United States that really stood up for the role of the court in the face of the Trump administration's attacks and insisted that there is a constituency here and globally for the work of, of your office. I just wanted to come back to what you mentioned, Ambassador Sheffer, and get both of your thoughts um, in terms of the 43 state party referral to, um, to the prosecutor on Ukraine. That obviously demonstrates a great outpouring of support for the role of the court. Um, but are there also some challenges that that raises in terms of making sure that the court's impartial, independent role is vindicated? You've been so clear, Mr. Prosecutor, that resources should not be earmarked to the Ukraine situation. But I wonder how we take this support for one particular situation um, and capitalize on that for, for the, all of the situations before the office. Thank you so much. Ambassador Schiffer. Well, I'll start with the first question. Uh, from uh, Ms. Kennedy, which is secondments to the ICC. Of course, it's up to Prosecutor Khan to really answer that question as to what he needs and what, how he wishes to receive that assistance. I am simply pointing out that, um, first of all, we did this, particularly with the Yugoslav Tribunal, uh, 30 years ago. We put out a call within the federal government for those interested in being seconded to the Yugoslav Tribunal. We got a tremendous response from the Department of Justice, from the Defense Department, um, and uh, oh, from US attorney's offices around the country, et cetera, of, of individuals who were interested in doing this, as well as investigative individuals, for example, from the FBI, who st stepped forward and said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be seconded for a year or two years. That means that the US government is paying their salary but um, that's also something that the Department of Justice's legal memo from 2010 said, yes, if it's a specific case, not generally, if it's a specific case, then we can do it. We can second someone for a, a specific case being investigated and prosecuted by the court. Uh, just because of the limitations of these constraining laws that we have in the United States that were passed, you know, after the Clinton administration. But it is very, very doable, and I will say that if the call went out within the U.S. government, because it's, you, you'd want, the U.S. government would be paying the salary, so you want people already salaried by the U.S. government. It's easier that way. Um, I think there would be a, an enormous uh, uh, reception to the, to the call. But I leave to Prosecutor Khan, um, uh, what you really need and, and how you want to receive it, or if you wish to comment at all on that. Well, I think it's right to recall that uh, the United States has had a very proud and distinguished 
record in terms of international justice from Nuremberg onwards. And uh, I was in the Yugoslav tribunal uh, as a junior prosecutor in uh, end of 96, beginning of 1997. Uh, and there were so many secondees from the Justice Department, from Department of Defense. I remember one of the really outstanding lawyers uh, was uh, Brenda Hollis uh, in the early cases, and then she subse uh, subsequently became uh, the prosecutor at the Special Court for Sierra Leone uh, and is currently the co-prosecutor in Cambodia. So um, I, I'm a witness firsthand as to the contribution that the secondments uh, had. It's not just from the United States, it was also United Kingdom and, and many other countries. But the reality is uh, the ICTY wouldn't have got off the ground uh, without the support of the United States. And I think we should be very ready to, to accept that. And it's something that those in the room, those that are um, you know, American citizens, should be very proud of. And we don't think those are halicon days that are not going to be repeated. Maybe the best is ahead of us. And it requires an approach. And in terms of even ASPA, I think uh, it's always open to any, um, for the United States to clarify. Um, further in terms of uh, the issue of secondments. I mean, generally what we need um, in international justice, in my view now, are <clears throat> um, hardened, experienced investigators, whether it's organized crime or whether it's uh, forensic analysts or whether it's military analysts. Um, you know, these are the skill sets that one needs um, uh, across, across the board. Um, so that's my answer in relation to that. I don't know if you want me to answer some of the others. In terms of the first question, I can't promise anything. Uh, I'm a prosecutor. All I can promise is uh, ethics, uh, hard work, integrity, following the ev evidence, and trying to use imaginative uh, and creative ways to uh, ensure that uh, justice is not uh, a phantom. It is something that the victims who yearn for it, uh, the survivors who need it, and the communities uh, around the world see it in action. Now, it requires uh, investigations, it requires cooperation, it requires partnerships in the way that I've mentioned before. Uh, the ICC is a, a last resort, um, but for me, that's the beauty of the thing. Uh, I think we also can change the model. I think the ICC, over a period, and the office, maybe look at, may have to look at an, an, a fewer number of cases, uh, a fewer number of situations, but to go deeper. So instead of doing three or four in one situation, you go far deeper and you maybe do scores. Uh, instead, these are things we have to look at in a way that is uh, consistent with our mandate uh, to make international justice more effective. It's obvious if you do two or three cases and, or one case and somebody passes away, um, you know, it, it's, it's not really uh, effective and it doesn't have the impact that criminal justice uh, could have. In terms of... Uh, uh, the individual you mentioned, uh, we're not, no proper prosecutor uh, should start with the target. It would be as wrong in the ICC as it should be wrong in the United States of America. You don't get Carter, you don't get, uh, uh, you know, an individual. You follow the evidence and see where it leads based upon forensic standards, uh, independent scrutiny uh, and rigorous assessment. And then, uh, as the adage goes, you know, let the dice fall where they may. Um, so that's my, my answer in relation to that. Certainly, I think we can be far faster in terms of swiftness. I think the whole model, um, you know, the, the international justice cannot be as pedestrian as sometimes it's been. Uh, it can't be uh, kind of a historic, uh, you know, uh, endeavor after normalcy uh, has been ensured. It needs to be uh, impactful, but it requires partnerships, as I've said, sharing of intelligence, information, satellite, and ability to 
to enter the territory or at least neighbouring countries and to build the trust and this commonality of endeavour that uh, without which we're not going to do uh, too much. I mean, the United States, in relation to another one, I mean, it's, um, it's played a pivotal role. It's, it's not, in fact, just in relation to um, the, 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 the recent or more recent difficulties of the past. Even in the ICC, not just the ICTY, it's important to emphasise that the arrest of uh, Dominic Ongwend or, or Netaganda was affected with the assistance of the United States. So I think it's worth emphasising um, there are the seeds of cooperation and there are the evidence of support and we need to also focus on what can be done to move forward in a way that is uh, ever more uh, effective. Um, you know, the, the, I, I just want to applaud, I mean, the Coalition of the International Criminal Court should be really proud of itself. It played a, a, a critical part in Rome. It's, for those that don't know, the coalition, uh, as the name implies, is an umbrella of, of many different uh, actors, uh, NGOs, civil society, that really were joined by a, a, a dream and a, a quest and a stubborn desire to take an idea and see it translate into practice that justice and accountability uh, should not be the preserved uh, for the few, but it should be uh, a right um, that is intrinsic to our humanity, uh, wherever you know, uh, uh, actions take place within the court. But in terms of the, the question, I think the 43 states is important. I hope more uh, you know, join. But sometimes to do better, we need to do things differently. We shouldn't think that uh, the playbook of the last 20 years is the best it can be. We see in sport, we see in other endeavors. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you're not winning the championships, uh, perhaps that manager you know, could do better by embracing new ideas. And we've been very clear uh, in my letter on the 7th of March regarding the note verbals, in my communications uh, throughout in the press and also in statements, um, we're not accepting earmarked support. There is a need across situations and I will deploy those resources where they're most needed. And I've said publicly what I think the priorities are uh, to do better. So I think, um, there may be in some quarters a degree of uh, circumspection about a new approach, but my own view is the new approach should be um, embraced with two arms, with two hands, so that um, we can actually not just talk about justice, but start seeing it in motion, start seeing it in practice, and it requires these new, you know, these new types of, uh, of of partnerships. And you know, I have uh, as a as a lawyer, as an officer of the court, and also. Uh, you know, as an elected official, I've taken an oath regarding my professional responsibilities. Uh, independence is something that every lawyer should have. Uh, independence is something every prosecutor is required of, and every judge, for that matter. So uh, partnerships don't uh, dilute independence. Uh, otherwise, the collaboration in, uh, in Europe on extradition or on JITs would be falling foul. Uh, partnerships in the United States between uh, federal and state would be, oh, that's not independent. How is the federal uh, FBI working or liaising with national or state uh, prosecution or police authorities? Independence is a state of mind. It's a fidelity to the law and an insistence that extraneous considerations uh, uh, you know, should not affect the determinations of a prosecutor. And this is you know, known by the adage of, you know, without fear, or favour. And I think, um, you know, partnerships for me, speaking to state parties, to speaking to non-state parties, having dialogue, listening, doesn't compel me to act in any particular way. But hubris is the end of many uh, Shakespearean 
a tragedy, so we should always be you know, cautious of thinking we know it all and using that as a justification not to speak to others who may give different perspectives and help us work uh, more effectively, but of course always independently. Can I just add, uh, Madam President, that um, uh, what Prosecutor Khan has just stated has so many grains of truth in it. I want to just come back, if I can, to um, kind of the original uh, point that, that we made at the beginning of the audience questioning, which is um, when you want to look for opportunities of how the United States can support um, the ICC and its work, sometimes you have to work, you have to put your mind on a sort of a parallel track that obviously can be supportive of the ICC but is not technically part of the ICC structure um, at that particular moment. One thing that uh, uh, could be considered, and, and I have to imagine that um, uh, my friends from the Office of Global Criminal Justice, my old office in the State Department who are in the audience today, might already be on this because we always had a checklist every day in the, in the old Office of War Crimes Issues of you know, 10 outstanding atrocity situations that we were focusing on that day. And um, I do think that the United States might be able to play a, a, a role in this coordination effort of the interviewing of victims and witnesses in Ukraine. Uh, it's an enormous task. You do not want to abuse the, the witness with repetitive uh, interviews by different organizations. You must have a master coordinator of that. We learned that lesson, I think, early on during the Kosovo uh, conflict in 1999, and we tried to have protocols to, to protect the individual victims as they were being interviewed by uh, civil society and then by, ultimately, the Yugoslav tribunal itself. Um, but the other thing I wanted to just point out is that we mustn't lose sight that these sort of openings for U.S. cooperation, in terms of even seconded personnel, uh, should be looked at in an, on an equitable basis, which Prosecutor Khan has been emphasizing. It's not just Ukraine. There are many other situations before the ICC whereby um, seconded personnel for very specific cases uh, in those situations with very specific targeted individuals as potential defendants uh, before the court could, um, uh, could benefit uh, from U.S. Um, uh, coordination and, and help uh, with respect to those specific cases, far beyond Ukraine. Gentlemen, we're at the end of our time together. This conversation has reminded all of us that one of the greatest achievements of the past 75 years has been the international commitment to accountability for atrocities and the establishment of institutions that have pursued that because of your exceptional leadership, Ambassador, over many decades, Mr. Prosecutor, today, and the work that you do in the ICC, you have reminded all of us why this achievement is worth defending and why it's our responsibility to reaffirm our commitment to help ensure that it spreads in every way possible. I hope everyone joins me in thanking the Prosecutor and Ambassador. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts.